May God bless you this year richly in him. Now, if you've got a Bible, will you turn to the book of Philippians? Book of Philippians, chapter 3. We begin picking it up at, uh, I think, well, let's read from from verse 1 onwards. Further, my brothers and sisters, rejoice in the Lord. It is no trouble for me to write the same things to you again, and it is a safeguard for you. Watch out for those dogs, those evildoers, those mutilators of flesh, for it is we who are the circumcision, we who serve God by his spirit, who boast in Christ Jesus, and who put no confidence in the flesh, though I myself have reasons for such confidence. If someone else thinks they have reason to put confidence in the flesh, I have more circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, in regard to the law, a Pharisee, as for zeal, persecuting the church, as for righteousness based on the law, faultless. But whatever gains to me, I now consider loss for the sake of Christ. What is more, I consider everything a loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord and for whose sake I have lost all things. I consider them garbage that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ the righteousness that comes from God on the basis of faith. I want to know Christ. Yes, to know the power of his resurrection and participation in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, and so somehow attaining to the resurrection from the dead. Not that I've already obtained all this or have already arrived at my goal, but I press on to take hold of that for which Christ Jesus took hold of me. Brothers and sisters, I do not consider myself yet to have taken hold of it, but one thing I do, forgetting what is behind and straining towards what is ahead, I press on toward the goal to win the prize for which God has called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. Now, I think, if memory serves correctly, that it was in a book by Sue Nichols entitled Words on Target, which I read many, many years ago, that in it she tells the story of a successful business that had a visit from a salesman. And the salesman, this was before computers were invented, and they had all these big filing cabinets and what have you, he was selling a sophisticated filing system. So he met the managing director and gave his sales spiel, 
He said, this is the most marvelous filing system. It'll do everything you could ever wish of a filing system. So the MD bought it for the business. Three months later, the salesman called back on a courtesy call just to see how they were getting on. And he asked them, he said, how's the filing system going? The MD said it's the best filing system imaginable. It does everything you said it would and more beside. The salesman was absolutely beaming. And then he said, as a kind of aside, oh, and, and how's the business? The MD said, the business? Oh, we haven't had time to run the business. We've been too busy running the filing system. I want to talk this morning about Paul's statement, this one thing I do. This one thing I do. Kenny, our focus. When Paul said that, he wasn't saying he didn't do anything else when he said, this one thing I do. He was a busy evangelist. He was founding churches. He was writing letters to all the churches he'd founded. And in fact, these verses are in a letter to the Philippians. Rather, he's talking about focus, priorities, goals, making, if you like, the important thing the important thing. As we look back over last year, or look forward to this year, one thing is absolutely certain for almost all of us, I'm sure, that keeping busy was and will be something we've found we're very good at. Our time, where does it go? We've got all these money-saving devices today, but uh, uh, rather time-saving devices, and yet we've got no time. We are so busy, so many demands on our time and our energy. It's so easy to forget the things that are important. Uh, some years ago, I attended a seminar about being productive in leading a church. And the speaker asked, and I suppose there's about 30 of us ministers there, he asked us and said, uh, how many of you have a to-do list? And I think we all raised our hands. We all had a to-do list. And he said, don't have a to-do list, have an important things to-do list. There's a difference, isn't there? There really is. I don't know if you've ever seen that TV program called Criminals Caught on Camera. I saw one a while back where this man was at a cash machine tapping in to draw out some money. And two men stood behind him. And uh, just before his money was due to pop out of the machine, the man right behind him dropped some coins on the man's left. And he, as he turned to look at that, his money popped out of the machine and the other man reached over and took it. The man turned back and kept waiting for his money and the other two just walked off. It's called a distraction crime. A distraction crime. This is the problem. We all get distracted 
at times, and sometimes by many things. Paul says, this one thing I do. He kept the important things in sight. Now, if you, because we read the whole chapter, you'll see that he, he, he was talking about all those things that he wanted to do, to know Christ, to the power of his resurrection, and so on and so on, when he said this one thing. Um, the, these were the things that, the things of God that he, he saw as the important thing that he wanted to keep in sight. Paul is saying that God had begun a work in him. Let me just uh, read it to you again. He, he says, not that I've already attained or am already perfected, but I press on. And then he goes on uh, to say, uh, for that which Christ took hold of me, I want to take hold of him is really what he is saying there. Not that I've already attained or already am perfect, Paul says. Now, I think we need to just be clear here. Paul isn't showing any uncertainty about his salvation. He's not saying, I hope I get resurrected. I hope I go to heaven. That's not so at all. I mean, in verse 11, he says, if by any means I might attain unto the resurrection of the dead. I've got a little quote here from a Dr. Grant Richardson, um, who, who knows a little bit more about the Greek stuff than me. He says this, the Bible was originally written in Greek. There are four ways of saying if in Greek. One of these ifs is to assume a statement as true. This is brought out by the spelling, not the interpretation. The if in this phrase is something Paul assumed to be true. Paul did not express doubt by this statement. He asserted a fact. The if can be translated since I will attain the resurrection from the dead. He had confidence in his eternal future. So the NIV understood that, the translators of the NIV, so they translated it, and so somehow attaining to the resurrection of the dead. With my limited Greek understanding, I went into Strong's dictionary and found it all that, that uh, Dr. Richardson said is absolutely so. Paul is talking about Christ's work in him. He said, I'm not perfect yet. We all need to realize we're not perfect yet. There are three stages to sanctification. The first is we are sanctified positionally in Christ. This is the gift of God through salvation in Christ. It was given to us at the point of salvation. We stand perfect in our status but not in our experience. We know that. So the second level of sanctification is progressive. Every day we're growing more, hopefully, we should be like Christ. So 2 Corinthians 3.18 says, And we all, with unveiled faces, contemplate the Lord's glory are being transformed into his image with ever-increasing glory, which comes from 
the Lord. The third level of sanctification is the ultimate sanctification. In heaven, we will be free from sin and sin's power. And so John says in uh, 1 John 3, when we see him, we shall be like him. Hallelujah. This is the level Paul was looking forward to. This is what he was strained, that I might know him, that I might be like him, that the work he began in me might be completed. I strive for that. I'm after the things of God. So what are the, some of the things that keep us from pressing on towards the important things of God? The first thing is the past. I want to say two things about the past. First is we must deal with the past where we can, but we must also forget it. The Apostle Paul says, forgetting what is behind. Let's look at those two things I said. Deal with it first. We cannot change the past. We know that. And there are many times, I'm sure, in all our lives when we look back and think, I wish I hadn't done that. I wish I hadn't said that. I wish I could change that. But we can't. But often... The past leaves us with unfinished business, doesn't it, that we need to deal with. Some years ago, I had a church member and his wife who left the church in, let's say, unpleasant circumstances. Every pastor will know what I'm talking about. And I thought then, and I still think now, that he was very unfair about a lot of the things he laid at my door. Years passed, then my wife and I got a message from him and his wife. He said, could we meet up? We said, okay. And we met up at their home. And he said to me, he said, I have carried for years the guilt of the way I treated you. The things I said, I don't know where I was coming from at that time. But he says, I can't get over it. He said, I've carried that. And I want to ask for your forgiveness, that we can be reconciled. And I thought that was a wonderful thing, and we were reconciled. It was a genuine reconciliation. Um, And he carried it from the past. But there came a point when... He dealt with the past. It was something he needed to deal with because he was carrying it from the past into the present. And when we do that, we need to deal with it. Now, hear me on this. This is very important. I am not suggesting for one second that we start digging up all the problems and issues from the past trying to fix them. In my experience, there's a lot of truth in that old saying, let sleeping dogs lie. Sometimes if you try to open things up from the past that you're not carrying into the present, you just create more problems than you solve. So the second thing is, sometimes with the past, we have to 
forget it. Forget it. Forgetting those things that are behind. The great 19th century preacher Henry Ward Beecher said at the end of a, a year in his New Year sermon, we have passed through one more year, one more long stage in the journey of life with its ups and its downs is done. The old year is dead. Roll it away. Let it go. God in his providence has brought us out of it. It's gone. And now we stand at the beginning of the next and the new. Excuse me. Another writer said, when the past is piled into the present, the weight is far more than any one person could possibly bear. The apostle Paul said, forget it. He wanted to forget he persecuted the church. He had to let go of that. Many years ago, Jean and I stayed with a, uh, an older minister. Um, I suppose we were in our 20s. He was in his 40s, so he's older than us. And one day, he told me a story. He said, did you know, the first church I had is a bitter memory in my mind. He said it failed, I failed miserably, and the church failed miserably. The numbers dwindled, and eventually it closed. He said that the last day on its closure, as he locked the door and drove away, he said, I sobbed all the way home. I could tell as he told me that story, it was still troubling him. Today, he hadn't rolled it away. He hadn't forgot it. He went on to successfully pastor a number of churches. So, can I say this? He failed, but he was not a failure. Don't let anyone tell you you're a failure. We all fail. As we look back on last year, there are probably things we've done or said or... Uh, we failed many times, but don't let anyone say you're a failure. Paul could look back on his own life and see his failures. As I said, he could see how he persecuted the church. He could probably remember that massive row he had with Barnabas over John Mark that split their ministry and they had to go separate ways. It was so bad. He had failed many times. But Paul certainly wasn't a failure. The apostle Peter failed. He denied the Lord three times. Later, even after he became leader of the church, he showed duplicity towards the Gentiles so badly that the apostle Paul had to take him aside and rebuke him for it. Peter failed many times, but Peter wasn't a failure. Lamentations 3.22 says, Because of the Lord's great love, we are not consumed. For his compassions never fail. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. However you feel you've failed in the past year, roll it away. Forget it. Let it go. Today's a new day. In God, a new beginning. You can rise up and be something in God because you're not a failure. Secondly, 
Don't be anxious over tomorrow. Don't let that steal your focus. Paul says, forgetting what is behind and straining towards what is ahead, I press on towards the goal to win the prize for which God has called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. Someone has said, if you get caught standing between the burdens of yesterday and the fears of tomorrow, you'll be crushed just as if you'd been placed between the closing jaws of some great vice. Some, perhaps the disciples of Jesus were worrying about the future because Jesus had to speak to them about it. In his Sermon on the Mount, in Matthew 6.34 we read, Therefore do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will worry about itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. I haven't got a cold and I haven't got COVID, okay? I just got allergies and in the cold my nose runs. Sorry about that. <laughs> okay, it's allergic rhinitis officially, but <laughs> hey, that's not a big problem. The message version of the New Testament says, don't get worked up about what may or may not happen tomorrow. God will help you deal with whatever hard things come up when the time comes. A few weeks ago, Claude preached on that scripture from Psalm 46, verse 10. Be still and know that I am God. That so blessed me, that sermon. It really did. The Hebrew there doesn't suggest that when he says be still, that we're sort of standing around, your mind wandering, just waiting. It really means the Hebrew, let go, relax. So the New American Standard Version translates it, stop striving and know that I am God. Don't forget that taking his eyes off the Lord and fixing them on the wind and the waves almost cost Peter to drown. The wind and the waves were not a threat. While he had his eyes, his focus, his faith fixed on Jesus, they only became a threat to him when he fixed his focus, his eyes on them. When Jesus got him into the boat, he rebuked Peter for his lack of faith. And so there's a direct link between faith and focus, focus and faith. Where we put our focus makes the difference between faith or doubt or fear. We need to keep our focus in the future on Jesus, then we haven't got to worry about what might come our way or may not happen. Most of the things we worry about anyway never happen. There may be storms this year that come into our lives, but as long as our faith is fixed, our vision on Jesus, they won't do us any harm. He'll be there. He's still the master of wind and waves, as the old uh, song said. 
I had a lady in my church in South Wales many years ago when I was there who was a very anxious person. Now, she worried about something very unusual, and you might think this rather strange. She was, had a terrible phobia about nuclear war. She was only a young woman, a young mum of, of two, um, but this was a paranoid fear with her. And I was visiting her one day, and she said, I want to show you something. She opened a cupboard high on her wall, and there were four containers there. She said, they are four containers of sleeping pills. And if there's a nuclear war imminent, my husband and I and our children, we're going to take them and end it all. And I thought to myself, thank God she never lived through the Cuban Missile Crisis like some of we older folk did. How sad that is, isn't it? Obviously, it was a real problem for her. You may not be anxious this morning as you look to the year ahead about nuclear war. You may be anxious about the COVID virus or about something else. Very often, we're anxious about many things. I love that old chorus, because he lives, I can face tomorrow. Because he lives, all fear is gone. Because I know, I know who holds tomorrow. And life is worth the living just because he cares. Remember, for tomorrow, for the future, keep your focus on Jesus and the things of God. Finally, we've got to live in today. The psalmist said, this is the day the Lord has made. I came across a little a writing someone made, and, and I, I like this. He said this, let me tell you something very simple, and yet somewhat profound. Now is now. You don't have to pray for it, search for it, or pay for it. Now is here, but only for now. I thought that was really good. Now is a gift that God has given to us. 2 Corinthians 6, 1-2 says, As we work together with him, we urge you also not to accept the grace of God in vain. For he says, at an acceptable time I have listened to you, and on a day of salvation I have helped you. See, now is the acceptable time. See, now is the day of salvation. God has given you now. We're all good at putting things off for another day, aren't we? My mother had seven children. And I suppose there wasn't a day went by when one of them wasn't asking, can we do this or can we do that? And she had a stock answer I must have heard thousands of times as I grew up. She would say, maybe later. We're all good at saying, maybe later. There are many things God might give us opportunity to do in the now, both today and in the now to come. For our families, our spouses, our friends, but especially for the Lord. Opportunities to do things for God. Let's grasp those opportunities in our hands. Some years ago, I'm nearly finished. Some years ago, I preached a sermon. The title was, Do It Now. 
And I talked about in the sermon, if something's in your heart or in your hand to do for God, do it now. Unknown to me, there was a lady in the church who was considering giving a large gift to a young man in the church who needed the money, who, who, who didn't have a lot of money. And uh, she had decided, thinking about it, she'd perhaps delay it and put it off and think some more about it. But when I preached on that sermon, do it now, she made the decision that she would do it now. And she did. And can I tell you, that young man thought that was the best sermon I ever preached. <laughs> we need to determine that we're going to take those opportunities. Now isn't here for long, it's here for now. And if God puts something in your hand this year to do, it'll be there for a short time only maybe. Do it now. An opportunity to speak to someone, show compassion and love to someone, an opportunity to serve in the church, an opportunity to do something for God or for others. When it comes, think about this, do it now. And let me conclude just to read that passage again to you. Not that I've already attained or am already perfected, but I press on that I may lay hold of that for which Christ Jesus has also laid hold of me. Brethren, I do not count myself to have apprehended, but one thing I do, forgetting those things which are behind and reaching forward to those things which are ahead, I press toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. This year, let's get our focus right. Let's get it on the things of God and let's press towards that goal. Let's just pray. Father, we thank you that you hold our future in your hands. Help us to fix our focus on you and, Lord, the things that pertain to you this year and not lose our, our focus at all. We pray you bless us and bless everyone here today in Jesus' name. Amen.